Welcome to Life Uninhibited. I'm your host, Kristen Messagy, Enneagram 6, Life Coach for Sixes. Even though I just talked about compassion, in last week's episode, I wanted to give self-compassion its whole own episode. It's Valentine's Day, love is in the air. Let's dive into how to show ourselves the love that we need and deserve. Hello, welcome, Sixes. Thank you for being here. If you are listening to this in real time, that means it is February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, at least in America. Do other countries celebrate Valentine's Day? I have no idea, I realize. No clue. Well, here we do, I guess. Generally speaking, I'm a bit of a Valentine's Day hater, to be honest. I, But I love love. I love love. I just don't like being told what to do. I don't like, you know, all the obvious critiques. I don't like the commercialization of it. I don't like, did I mention I don't like being told what to do? Like when to show love, all the pressure that comes with it. It's just not my bag. However, I can be a real grump about any holiday given the chance. I mean, I can really get going on some complaints about holidays. That said, uh, I can appreciate that some people really appreciate it. And I can hold more than one reality in my self at the same time, which is actually something I think is really important to be able to do. So even though I think Valentine's Day is a crock, (laughs) I can also totally inhabit the idea that showing the people that we love, that we love them with special little things is really fun for some people. Like people really get into it. And those of you who really like to, you know, decorate and make things super cute and are really good at gift giving, like this is probably, I imagine, just another opportunity to show your love. So that's great. I think that's great. All that to say, my way of honoring Valentine's Day this year is to do this podcast episode that's really going to be about self-love, which when I say it like that, self-love, it's a kind of a controversial topic. Some people think it's great and are always striving to love themselves. Some people think that's like a straight path to hell because (laughs) we're (laughs) bothering to love ourselves, then we're not loving, you know, what we should be loving. Some people just don't understand what in the world that actually means, right? We're told to love ourselves and we're like, okay, but what are we even talking about? Some of us think, yeah, I'll love myself when I'm good enough based on whatever sort of picture I have in mind of the version of me that is lovable. And we're sort of on a journey to try to become that 
version of ourselves so then we can love ourselves. There's lots of ways that when people hear the words self-love, brains make meaning. Brains make meaning of everything. Automatically, just happens. So I'll specifically talk about what I mean. I'll specifically talk about what I don't mean. And that's what we're going to do today. Before I go any further into the content, I just did a quick Google search. In fact, Valentine's Day is celebrated in many countries around the world. I feel like that should have been obvious to me, but it wasn't. So here we are. Thank you, internet. I also went to the internet for the correct pronunciation of a word I'm about to teach you, which is the Greek word for self-love. The Greeks had like six different words for six different kinds of love. And they had a word for self-love. And it's called, it was called in the ancient Greek, philautia. Now we would say it as philautia is how we would pronounce it. This was the idea that there was a love of self. And not surprisingly, there is a healthy version and an unhealthy version. The unhealthy version of self-love is what some people seem to think all self-love is, which is essentially narcissism. To love oneself so much that it blocks out everything else. You aren't able to be empathetic. You know, it's bad. It's bad to just love oneself into destruction of, well, just period. We, we can all get a sense of what that is. Now, of course, we could get into another conversation around, is narcissism really self-love? Like we're not doing any of that today. We're just exploring this concept. There is a self-love that can be destructive for sure. A healthy version of self-love is not that at all. In fact, it's a quality, an internal way of viewing oneself that is really required for positive mental health. It's a view of themselves that is really self-supportive. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I am going to dig a little bit more into what it isn't and what it is. I'm also going to pivot to talking about it as self-compassion. The reason I'm going to do that is because Kristen Neff, PhD, has done a ton of research and work. She has a whole career built on this idea of self-compassion. It's scientific. It's been studied and it's been proven that self-compassion is really how we make positive, lasting change in our lives and how we have a relationship with ourselves that really helps us walk through life in a way that is holistic and grounded. And it's it's just incredibly important. She also is very specific about what it is and what it isn't. I will actually link to her website because it's not just a wealth of information. She also has very specific practices there. It's an incredible resource. So I will do that as well. The first thing I want to say is self-awareness 
without self-compassion, honestly, is just mean. (laughs) It's just mean. The reason it's mean is because of the internal culture that most of us have. So we come across a tool like the Enneagram that is literally designed to be like, hey, here is your patterning that disconnects you from essence and source. And also, this is how you kind of go not great. These are the ways you get in your own way in your life, in your relationships. Like, this is your problem, is what the Enneagram is really showing us. If we don't have a sturdy internal culture for that kind of information to land, we tend to take it in and then one of two things happens. We either get defensive or angry or blaming of any number of things outside of us, or, and this is, usually we do both. Usually we do both, just not at the exact same time. We kind of ping pong back and forth. But the other thing we do is we take in the information, the awareness, and we go real shamey and heavy and not to a good place with it. So it's just so crucial that self-awareness and self-compassion go along at the same time. We need both. We need both. And if you are someone who is able to have true self-awareness where sort of like the light comes on in blind spots that you have or things about you that you just couldn't even hold because they're not that great, if you are someone who can see those things and not collapse into shame or go very blamey, you likely have an internal culture that has a lot of self-compassion or self-acceptance. And you're just like okay with actually being a human. What I find with most people is we have to build that internal scaffolding. But I really think this is true for most people because most of us weren't taught that. Most of us weren't given that or taught how to create that internal sturdy, soft place where your real humanity can land and exist, which is what this is really about, is finding a way to let our true, full humanity exist inside of us. You can pretty clearly think, imagine what the difference is here when you just think of the idea of feeling compassion and what that does inside of you for another person and feeling judgment and what that does inside of you for another person. If you are feeling compassion, you are sort of open to what that person is experiencing and you want to move toward, come beside and help. If you are in judgment of that person, you want to distance yourself from them. You don't want to help. You think you know why they're in their situation and you're having an experience of 
detachment and it can almost be disgust, right? Like, oh, I mean, you all know what judgment feels like and hopefully you know what compassion feels like. You can imagine these different states when it comes to another person. Now turn toward yourself. Most of us are living in judgment of our humanity all of the time. We have an emotion and we're like, uh-oh, no, ew, bad, go away, scary. We don't want anything to do with it. We do something that we don't like and we judge it. And then we, so we're, we want to distance ourselves from that part of us. We don't feel okay about that part of us. We can be quite angry and flagellating and really cruel to things that we do, parts of us that exist, emotions that we feel, the way we look. I mean, you name it, we usually have some kind of judgy relationship with it. And what I'm talking about is a relationship to all those different parts of us that actually have us feeling with and like wrapped around those parts that we accept that they are parts of us and we're actually okay with that. This is the, this is what I'm talking about. This is a sentence straight from selfcompassion.org. She says, instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies or shortcomings, i.e., things we discover through self-awareness. <laughs> Self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. Yeah. So how? How do we do that? What is that? All right, I hopefully you're convinced that this is something you want. So, so now what? Let's do first spend some time on what it isn't because these are the things that we tend to think it is and things we are a little more familiar with. So self-compassion is not self-pity. Self-pity is really what I find most of us are prone to when we are suffering and we're starting to really look at what we're dealing with. We become immersed in our own problems and we forget that others have similar problems. We completely ignore that we are connected to others who also have problems. It's an extremely isolating, it's a self-isolating experience. We're like, I'm having a hard time. And then we go into, I'm the only one who has this kind of hard time. We're kind of in that self-pity. And there's a lot of just getting caught up in our own stuff. And there's not an ability to like step back and get any perspective on that. So self-compassion is not woe is me, my problems are so much worse than everyone else's. It's not that at all. It's also not self-indulgence, which is, this is what I hear so often is people are afraid to quote, love themselves or feel compassion for themselves because they think they're going to not do anything anymore. They think they're going to just become like hedonistic, lazy so this isn't just giving oneself pleasure or whatever you want. That That is not what self-compassion is. It's something else entirely. So no need to worry if you're actually practicing self-compassion. That doesn't mean you're just indulging in whatever you want. Self-compassion is about really 
being on your own side because you want the best for yourself, not because you just want whatever you want. And then lastly, self-compassion is not self-esteem. So self-esteem is tied to accomplishments, right? I can feel good about myself because I have done such and thus thing or I have accomplished such and thus whatever. Now, as sixes, we definitely want to orient to our accomplishments and things that we know and things we have done, but that's a different practice than self-compassion. Self-compassion is really being with ourselves totally separate from our accomplishments and things that we do well. Self-compassion is about being with ourselves when we are suffering, when we are seeing ourselves in a not positive light, when we have made a mistake. It's not about liking ourselves when things go how we want them to. So what is it? What is self-compassion? Now remember, this is science. It's been studied. What I just talked to you about and the three elements that I'm going to talk to you about are straight from Kristen Neff's website, selfcompassion.org. So you can go there and you can read these things and really dig into what they mean and how they feel. Really want you to take this in with your heart. It is Valentine's Day after all. We are talking about how to feel about ourselves when we're having a hard time. So I'm going to go through these three elements and then I'm going to share two different personal examples and how to actually apply this. It is not automatic for most of us. It's just not. And the other thing I want to say is it's not that we replace our automatic selves with this new way of being overnight. It's a practice. It's something we do over time, over and over and over. So if you try self-compassion and it feels hard or doesn't work for you right away or whatever, that's just normal. That makes sense. It's quite a different way of viewing ourselves in a hard time than most of us are programmed to do, especially because as sixes, remember, it's hard for us to get away from the idea that if we've done anything wrong, we haven't somehow caused bad things to happen. So it can actually feel very foreign for us to really consider ourselves compassionately when we've done something wrong because it means taking our focus off of the horrible thing that we now have to fix or protect ourselves from or whatever. Okay, these are the three elements. One, self-kindness versus self-judgment. We talked about that earlier, what the difference is and how we can really get a sense of what that feels like, right? If we're looking outside at someone else or we're feeling compassion, there's a moving toward. If we're kind to that person, it's like we're looking at them. We care about them. We actually want to know what's going on. If we're judging them, we all know how that feels too. Also want to say here, it isn't bad to judge. It's just an automatic thing that brains do. 
we can get judgy of ourselves for judging. No need. (laughs) No need whatsoever. Brains judge. Judging is an incredibly important part of literally being a human in the world. Judging is what helps us know this is a cup. This is a desk. This is a microphone. We judge things so they can go into our subconscious and we can get on with life. So it is not bad to judge. It's something we have to do. Discernment is a healthy form of judgment. So self-judgment is just a thing that happens. We're talking about, and we all know what we're talking about, when something happens not good and we go, oh, you're terrible. You're bad. Why are you like that? Why did you do that? Et cetera, et cetera. Self-kindness is what it sounds like. It's being warm and understanding toward ourselves. When we suffer, this is from the website, when we suffer, fail, or feel inadequate, rather than ignoring our pain. Oh, there's so much baked in here because we also are not ignoring the pain, which I'll get to in my examples. It's just recognizing that being an imperfect human is literally part of the deal and being nice to ourselves about that. Okay, that's one, self-kindness versus self-judgment. Element two of self-compassion, common humanity versus isolation. What I talked about earlier, when we're being self-pitying, we're pulling ourselves out of the human family and we're saying, just me, woe is me, I'm alone, my problems are worse than everyone else's, no one understands me, I'm alone, I'm ever suffering. We, we just forget that we are part of the humans who generally have a hard time. Humans suffer. To be human is to suffer. That is just a fact. How we connect to those moments of suffering, how we are with ourselves in those moments of suffering is the difference here. When we're suffering, do we isolate ourselves into a shamey corner? This is what shame does, right? Shame isolates us. It says you are bad, you are worse than everyone else, and you are alone. That is what shame does to us. And so part of self-compassion is not staying with what the shame wants us to believe and think. It's more courageous to do our work with shame and then stand with humanity in the suffering that we all deal with. And then the last element of self-compassion, mindfulness versus over-identification. So this is getting perspective on the suffering. We take a look at the situation We don't suppress the negativity that's happening inside, nor do we exaggerate it. It's really this balanced, just the the mindfulness piece. It's how, what is the mindset we want to have toward ourselves when we're having a hard time? And it's non-judgmental. It's receptive to what is in the moment. And it's just, it's just very real. It's very, it's a very being with but not drowning in. Okay, I'm going to tell you a couple examples. I have two. They're very different from each other. So I hope that it helps to kind of apply some of this stuff. 
So the first one is a mistake I made at work. And the second one is a different kind of thing. So mistake happened at work. Something happened that shouldn't have happened. And I felt and saw the automatic reaction. I felt shame, embarrassment, a fear. I saw the thoughts. How could that happen? You're so unprofessional. No one's going to trust you. Everyone's going to be mad at you. Like I saw all of that. You are terrible at systems. It just, it's just, it was vicious, right? The automatic judgment is vicious. It's just what happens. It's like, that's not uncommon. That's not weird. That's what brains do. So I, here's the key. I felt the ick. I felt my feeling. I was like, oh, I felt the embarrassment. I felt a little bit of shame. I just ugh, like the exasperation of being a human, <laughs> having things happen. <laughs> and then I was able, then I was able to really access kindness. Actually, all of this, right? It's the whole thing. I was able to access kindness. Like, hey, Kristen, it's okay. Things do happen. The common humanity. You know what? All businesses everywhere have things happen that don't totally go according to plan. Things that don't work exactly perfect. That's actually a really common thing that happens in business. Totally normal thing. Guaranteed. There is yet to be a business in existence that hasn't made a mistake. Yeah. So mindfulness is just being with all of it. I let the feelings be there. It's okay. I'm not trying to suppress the ick. I'm letting it be there. I'm well beyond it now, so I'm not I'm not feeling it at all. But at the time, I was like, okay, yep. Oh, that's embarrassment. Oh, that's shame. That's but those feelings are, I didn't go into them. I didn't become those feelings and think, oh my gosh, you're the worst business owner ever. I didn't let any of that consume me and let it happen in real time. I just kept watching the emotions. I was like, oh, it's still there a little bit. Oh, yep. Yep, still there a little bit. But I was watching things just move through over time. Okay, so there's an example of where a mistake happened, a thing happened, and how I was able to move through it without getting stuck or without believing the thoughts or not processing the emotion. The other one is a much bigger thing happening in my life, and it's a it's a scary thing. And I'm using the exact same principles because my automatic reaction to this thing happening that I'm dealing with is um, even though it's not me, it's not my actual self, it's someone I'm in relationship with, it's their experience, but I'm connected to this person. Their experience matters in my life very, very much. And so even though I can't do anything about it, my brain has a lot of thoughts. My brain has a lot of judgment first, right? You should have done this differently. Why couldn't you have done this? If you only had more capacity in your life, this would never have happened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So I add kindness and I say, oh, hey, it's actually really hard to be a human living life with other humans. 
when things happen and they're scary, that that's actually hard. You know, there's my there's my self-kindness piece. And then the common humanity. Yeah, man, bodies. It's hard to have human bodies and all the different things that they do and all the ways that, you know, we judge ourselves and each other when there's body things happening and we're all like, oh, those things shouldn't happen. Like it's hard that we're all in this boat of having a human body and having to navigate that together because it actually isn't easy to have a body. This is a body thing happening in case I haven't made that clear. And I'm not, I'm not being opaque for any other reason than, um, you know, parts of my life are just not mine to share, you know? Other people in my life get privacy. Anyway, all humans have bodies. <laughs> and it can be a real bummer because bodies um, are imperfect, you know? But anyway, you hear it. This is how I'm really managing. The other thing to note here is I have let myself feel fear. I've let myself really wrestle with powerlessness, which for sixes, this is a key emotion that we have to find a way to be with. I am not in control of so many things. It makes me angry. It makes me sad. It makes me want to yell at people. It makes me want to, you know, tear down industries. It it's, makes me want to get really big because I feel really small in the face of not being able to control things for people that I love. Mindfulness versus over-identification. So I've noticed my anger. I've noticed myself wrestling with powerlessness. I've noticed my desire to control and sort of wrestle something that I think I understand perfectly well, which is actually also not true, into submission. You know, I want to wrestle this problem into submission and I can't, but I'm noticing that. I'm noticing that I want to. I'm noticing my emotions around not being able to, and I'm staying not only on my side, but I'm staying on the side of the other person. This is one of the things that self-compassion allows us to do. Because I have compassion for my experience through this process, then I'm able to be in choice around how I want to be with this other person, even though I'm scared and frustrated and want to control in all the things. Okay, so those are two examples of how I'm currently practicing self-compassion. So the easiest way to start to access this for yourself is to imagine how you would genuinely feel and talk to someone that you really care about going through whatever it is, whatever your thing is. What would you say? How would you approach it? And what would it feel like someone you really, really loved and cared about is going through a hard thing and you wanted to be there for them? This is the easiest way to access sort of the, the difference than how you are likely talking to yourself. And this does not work for everyone. I'm just going to say not all sixes can access actual compassion for others. And that's that's fine. We just access the work in different ways. But if you are someone who is 
really encouraging of others, then you already have all this on board and you can start to practice it. And I hear this all the time too, that people are like, oh, well, it's easy to do for someone else. It's just hard to do for me. I'm like, yeah, I know we can do hard things. If you can do it, then you can do it. And if it doesn't come naturally to you, then that's fine. We just approach the work in different ways. But if you can, if when someone around you is having a hard time, really suffering, if you feel this sense of like, oh my gosh, there's no need to be hard on yourself. This is a human thing. This is what happens. Then you have everything you need to start to consider yourself in the same way. The easiest way to access it. If you can think of a movie character that you really resonate, that you feel compassion and kindness for, and you know, how would you want to talk to them and encourage them? Sometimes we have to have a lot of distance between us and other people to feel genuine compassion. Sometimes they have to be totally outside of our realm of concern. So use a movie character, use a novel character, use, you know, just someone else, someone that you heard something about and you really felt touched, like it really touched your heart. Okay, this, please do not do self-awareness work without also doing self-compassion work. It doesn't work. (laughs) It's not efficient. I did an Enneagram workshop recently for a group of physicians. And so I was trying to think of a metaphor for this piece of it, that, you know, having self-compassion along with all this self-awareness work. And I thought of, it's like, if you are a doctor and you go in and you just give the diagnosis and like, that's it without any bedside manner, without any care or concern wrapped in that diagnosis, we all know that we don't want that kind of doctor. You know, we want a doctor who's able to tell us what's going on, but is also sort of with us in the in the humanity of those moments. So this is what I'm talking about. Like, don't try to be a doctor to yourself and like diagnose yourself, oh, and everyone else also, without any of the humanity that goes with that. It's just... I I just, I don't recommend it. Okay, that's, I don't recommend it. Do it how you want. (laughs) But I certainly don't practice that way and uh, obviously have very strong feelings about it. Okay, I have my hand on my heart, which I often, often do in my own life and in my practice with my clients. It's a very important gesture to me. This is another thing that Kristen Neff talks about is being able to physically connect with ourselves in a loving way. So that is what I'm doing right now. I am connecting with all of you, feeling a lot of love and compassion and common humanity. And yeah, it's um, it's a lot to be a human. It gets much easier when you can get on your own side about your human journey. Okay, that's it. I'll talk to you all soon. If 
you are interested in doing self-awareness work alongside with wrapped around including self-compassion work zero to 60 community is absolutely where that is happening you can get on the wait list now for march we're gonna talk about oh we're going to compassionately explore our angst anxiety our fear avoidance in march if that sounds like work that you need get on the wait list and you'll be the first to know when the doors reopen